the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 1 to 18. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem, by the sheep gate, a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn, as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's a, it's a big privilege to be preaching to all of you, even when you are not here in this, in this place. But I know that the Word of God is powerful and is not limited to this space, physical space, distance, and He can go through the waves of uh, air, internet, whatever, and he can transform and speak to our hearts, and that is my prayer for all of us this morning. So let's start with a word of prayer. Amen. Lord, we come before you knowing that your word is beneficial for us. Your word brings salvation, that your word transforms, that your word brings life, that your word is powerful to penetrate our minds, our hearts, and our spirit. And it's able to 
train us, is able to correct us, is able to help us to live a holy, a holy life for you. We pray that your word is going to speak powerfully to all of us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. We pray. Amen. Amen. This story in the chapter 5 of, of the Gospel of John starts in a beautiful way. I have always tells you that there is no waste in the words of the Word of God. Every word has powerful meaning. And you know, this story starts after these after this, and we can spend like three hours just explaining what the, the writer, of, uh, writer of the Gospel of John is telling us about after this. But after this is what you have found in chapter 1, 2, 3, and 4. And then we find there, chapter 2, Jesus, and John calls all these miracle signs. Jesus transformed the water into wine. Remember that? And reveal there who he really is. Right? Then, if you move a little bit, we find in chapter 3, this divine encounter of Jesus and Nicodemus. And Jesus is telling these men, Oh, you are a religious person. You are a well-trained in theology and in the Old Testament. And you have all this knowledge. And you don't really know that you need to be born again. beautiful chapter 3 then we find verse 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life chapter 3 chapter 4 as we saw a couple of Sundays ago we see in the gospel of John this divine encounter between Jesus and this woman at the well of Jacob and there this woman says I think you are the Messiah and Jesus' answer is you are right the one who you speak is, uh, is he, I am the one. Chapter 4, and then another sign and miracle in, at the end of chapter 4. But then after this, we come that Jesus, when he is moving now back from Galilee, he is walking to a feast. He is returning to a feast to Jerusalem. And this is the unfolding theme of the Gospel of John that we'll bring again and again. He is now meeting people, but at the same time, we are going to see that it is bringing confrontation. 
He is bringing confrontation against the religious leader. He is bringing confrontation against those who are in a higher position and they don't want to leave their places of power to recognize that Jesus is the Son of Man. And this is going to be intensifying time after time if you continue reading in the Gospel of John. And that's why John in his introduction in chapter 1 verse 11 says he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. And that's what we are going to find in chapter 5. So, let's see a little bit of the context of this passage. We find the, the context in verses 1 to 5 that took place at Jerusalem, at the pool located near a gate called uh, a ship gate. And John, the writer, is giving us date to confirm that the place is a real place. He's, he's given us a place, I'm sorry, to confirm that the place is a real place. This is not a, 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 just a story or just a fairy tale or a fable. It's a real place. And some people were worried because until for centuries, there was not such a place in Jerusalem discovered to be this place that Jesus, uh, the, John, the writer of John, uh, is, is, tell, is talking here. And then happens that in the 18th century, they discover near the Jerusalem um, temple, during an excavation, a pool. And during this time, they start to realize that this was the pool that Jesus was using here to meet these crippled men. There is one thing that is important to mention right now, that the pool, the Bible, nowhere indicates that God set up a pool in Jerusalem so that the people can go and be healed there. There is no registration in the Old Testament that God set up an angel to go and touch the water and then the water will, go in, will come and heal the people at, the, at this place. Because that, is, that was the belief during Jesus' time that an angel came and touched. But the Bible, if you read there, doesn't register that. In the, in the oldest manuscript of the Gospel of John. So, this was like more like a superstition or like a myth that they were building through the years. And is this, it, is, it is really interesting that they discover, and I, please be, be patient with me. I have a point to tell you a little, a little bit more about these uh, uh, discoveries. But they discovered as well when they were uh, excavating during this place, they discovered between the columns in, in this pool that they, they found an altar area. So around the pool, there were like some caves that they were using as an altar or tribes to offer sacrifice to the gods. And that was one of the myths that the Romans and the Greeks had 
in all times, that the waters have some uh, healing powers. And if you go to those places, you offer a sacrifice, and then you can go inside the waters and have heal, and you will have heal. You have healing from your diseases. So I'm not going out of track with this because the point that I want to make is the relationship between this place, the relationship between this place and Jesus is that Jesus walked into this area and confronted these massive religious practices, this magic religious society, and he entered again to this place as a divine encounter there between heaven and hell where people were getting there with their minds focusing all their gods. And now Jesus entered and he says, no, I am the one who can bring healing, and I am the one who has the power to bring healing in the middle of this pagan place. Christ is uh, right now about to reveal his glory, not just this pagan belief, but to the leaders that were there, to the Jewish people who were there, Jesus is about to reveal his own identity. And that is why the religious people were hating Jesus and were planning to destroy Jesus because he was destroying all religious conceptions about God and he was presenting himself as the God, him, God in person among them. What they needed in that place, what was not any other gods, was not any other religion, was not even an angel coming down to heal them. What they need was the power of the voice of Christ. And it's the same power of the voice of Christ that was at the beginning. And you found, you will find this in the first chapter of John, the powerful voice of Jesus, the powerful word of Jesus. In chapter 1, verse 1 to 4, we read this. In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was the life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So you see, in this place, in this dark pool, in this dark place, now they are meeting the powerful word of God who has the power to create from nothing something. To bring healing by the power of his voice. 
So that is the context that we are finding, that we are finding in this, in this chapter. But now if we go, we can see the first is geographic context. The second is the context of this invalid. And we find this in verse 7 when the man says, Sir, I have no one to help me. Sad words, eh? This man is telling Jesus there is nothing here, there is nobody here that can help me. I, I don't know about you, but one of the worst things of being sick is being alone. I don't know, but that is my case. Being sick and being alone is making me feel more miserable for being alone than being sick. It's like a, when we are sick, is that there is this need that we have that someone, even just being sitting beside us and putting like some water in our head or taking our hand and saying, don't worry, I am here with you. That in itself is, is medicine. But this man was helpless. Nobody was there to help him. But not just that, this man was hopeless, absolutely hopeless. Imagine he's saying, when I run, when I try to run, he was so weak that he was, someone always go first than me. So there is no hope for this man. He is helpless. And he is hopeless. Imagine this man sleeping in those in this in in his bed around the pool, dreaming that probably next day I will be healed. And then he wakes up, and next day never came for him. Healing never came for him. If you think that. Being at Costco in a line waiting to buy something is, is worth, worse than this. Well, you, you need to go and see the situation, hopeless situation of these men. Being there, knowing that he has no help and no hope. And these, dear brothers and sisters, is a graphic illustration of man's spiritual condition outside of Jesus Christ. No hope and no help. Maybe we are not laying physically beside a, a blind or physical or someone who is lame. But even though we are sitting around our comfortable life or our comfortable bed, our comfortable house, sometimes we are in the same position of these hopeless and helpless men. Sometimes we are in the same horrible condition as these men. And that is what Jay and we didn't agree, was reading chapter 5 on Romans. And verse 6, 
I want to read it again. Verse 6 to 8 is talking about our hopelessness and our helplessness. Verse 6 says, For while we were still weak, for while we were still paralyzed, for while we still powerless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still hopeless, while we were still sinners, while we were still without any help, Christ died for us. Probably you have 25 years old and not 38 as this man. Or maybe you are over the 40 years old. Probably you are a professional. Probably you are, you are a person in a, in a powerful position. But the Bible is telling us that without Christ, without Christ before, before God, we are in the same position as these men, without hope and without help. Probably you have tried many other things to, 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 to help you're powerless against sin, against lust, against all the desires that you have in your heart and you want, you cannot control and you need some help. But you are powerless. You are hopeless. Maybe you are sitting surrounded by many people, but inside you know that you are a mess like me. That morally you are corrupted. That emotionally you are a mess. That your mind is a puzzle and you don't know what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. It's like fogginess in your mind. It's like you cannot think about one more thing in your life because that bro breaks you down but the beautiful ask the beautiful question that jesus asked this man do you want to be healed do you want to be healed we need to believe that jesus still is asking the same question and not just that he is asking the same question we need to believe that jesus is still have the power to do what he did with this man jesus said to him get up take up your bed and walk and at once verse 8 says and at once the man was healed now that day was the sabbath 
again. I have no idea. This passage is a puzzle for me. I have no idea how Jesus choose, chose these men. It's again as a divine appointment. These men didn't know Jesus. These men didn't ask for help as other that we read in the scriptures. He didn't scream behind Jesus, say, Son of David, have mercy on me. Nothing is Jesus, the one who came from Galilee to this feast that is not named. Even the feast that Jesus attended in Jerusalem is not named. It's Jesus who entered through that door, specifically through that door, looking in this place for these men. And that is one of the greatest mysteries of the gospel. Don't you think? How many times I have asked to myself, why me? I have a lot of family, cousins, and friends they have heard the same gospel that I have heard. But why me? Why you? That is the puzzle of the gospel. That is the, the, the mystery of God's grace. And that is what we read in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 and says but God being but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead even when we were invalid even when we were paralytics even when we were dead he says, He made us alive together with Christ. And he closed this verse saying, By grace you have been saved. You see, it's the word of Jesus who brought healing to these men. Just the word of Jesus. He was not asking it. But with the word of Jesus, he was healed. This man did not need to, to be the first into the pool in order to be healed. Don't you think that that is so wonderful for you and for me? That's a good news for you and for me. You don't need to be doing nothing to receive Christ's grace. What these men needed 
was Christ. And what you and I need is Christ, the one who spoke the world into existence. He is the one that you and I need. And then we can see again the mystery of salvation is his voice, his voice, his voice that creates. His voice is the voice that has the power to do the impossible. John says that his healing was instantly and complete, not gradually, not halfway, but complete and perfect was not an angel, was not religion, it was the power and love and grace of Jesus Christ. The power of the word of Jesus Christ. And my friends, where I come from, from Latin America, I have seen this power at work many times. I grew up seeing this kind of power transforming the life of people out of nothing. My own dad came. My own dad came from addiction, from moral decadence, to a new life by the power of Jesus himself, nothing else. But I wonder why now we are allowing so much psychology, so much methods or help, support, and religious things to be the cure for men and women. Why not to believe in the power word, the powerful word of Jesus Christ for you and for me? Why not to believe that the power of God can bring new life to those who are drug addicts, from those who are alcoholics, to those who are immersing moral impurity that have lost their life in lust? Jesus Christ still has the power to transform our lives, to take, them, to take our lives from the mess by the power of his word. I'm not saying that those things are not helpful, but when we put these things first, then Jesus, then we are going to be like these cripples trying to work around how we can fix our own mess. Do we believe that Jesus still has the power to transform our lives as these men did? As he did with these men. It is only in Jesus that we can find help. And that's why, you know, Again, we see in verse 14 that Jesus 
was looking for this man because he didn't know who healed him. But Jesus found him in verse 14, and he said to him, See, you are well, sing no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Let me tell you what Jesus is saying here in one sentence. Jesus is telling this man, now you are physically okay. Now you can run, now you can go to work, now you can be a professional, now you can be whatever you want to be. But if you continue sinning, there is something worse that is coming for you. And not just for you, for all of us. That's what Jesus, in another passage in Matthew chapter 10, 28, he was telling the, the, the people who were following him. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Jesus was telling this man, you better stop sinning lest you finally encounter this horrible ending in hell. We can have everything. We can be whatever we want to be. But at the end, we are going to present ourselves before the throne of God, and then judgment, and then there are only two options, to the right or to the left. You are going to be one of his own, or you are going to be not one of his own. But Jesus was telling this man, sing no more. And at the end, we close with this conflict again. You remember these religious shrines when there were sacrificing and we're thinking that the gods, these capricious gods of the Olympus were going to save them? Now, the Jewish were in the same position. They were thinking that because they were doing all what the law were commanding them and more, they were going to have salvation and the favor of God. <laughs> and this is one of the most horrible statements that I have read in the Bible. This is one of the more horrible things that you can say to, 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 to another person. This man of 38 years had been in invalid, and now he's walking with his bed and telling everybody, you see what I can do now? I can walk. I can jump. Have my strength again. I can do things that before I was incapable to do. And you know what the question the Jews asked to him in verse 10? 
It is the Sabbath. It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. Imagine. What a horrible statement. And then later, they are asking this man, who is the man? Look, he's, he, the, the, the Jews is, are asking this man, who is the, who, who is the man not that heals you. No, they are asking, who is the man who tells you to take up your bed? And brothers and sisters, sometimes we can become like these religious people. When others come to Christ, we want them to be perfect like us, like us, right? And we are asking them to change and to do things that they are just learning how to do. And we become like this religious person imposing things that we are unable even to do, even when we are a Christian. And you see the situation is getting worse and worse and worse for Jesus. Since this moment, the religious leader, they started to plot how to kill Jesus because Jesus was telling them, look, my father is working until now, and I am working. The religious people believe that God, yes, he was resting at the seventh day, but he keeps sustaining everything in the universe. When Jesus was telling them, okay, my father is working. Yes, my father is keeping everything in place in the universe. He is taking control of the hair of all of us. He is taking control of the leaves of a tree. He is taking control of how much you have in your bank account. He's controlling everything. And Jesus was telling them, okay, he is working and I am working. That was a statement saying, I am God. And that's why verse 18 says they were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. From there, brothers and sisters, the Jews start to look for Jesus. But not because he was the son of God, but because they wanted to kill him. What to do with Jesus is the question. What to do with Jesus? For those who are like this man, there is hope Jesus is still looking for you. If you are listening to me right now, and you are the one who is there saying, I am the crippled man, the good news is that that is Jesus who is looking and going after you wherever you are. And he is offering the salvation. He's offering the capability to belong to another creation. 
the one who can jump and run and sing and say, I am free. There is hope in the name of Jesus. There is help in the name of Jesus. And for all of us believers that are here or that are listening to me, there is a time that we need to continue considering that sanctification is a process. The sinful life need to be dying day by day because our soul depends on that. By the grace of God, we need to let the works of the flesh to be dying. Whatever you are doing right now, even after 20 years of being a Christian, Whatever your thoughts are, even when you are a Christian, what you need is the power of Jesus to work in you and in me to make us more holy day by day. And the second thing, brothers and sisters, let's give grace to those who are becoming new believers. They need grace. They, know, they don't need our judgment, our criticize, because they are doing things. I remember Carl telling a testimony that one of his friends, once when he became a believer, said to him, Dear brother, you need to, you need to start praying about your language. Would you consider to ask God to change your vocabulary? And Carl was like, I never thought about it. Thank you. What a grace that we can give to others to encourage them, to show them, to point to them that Jesus is our only hope. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this word thank you for the opportunity we have to come before you as this invalid man we need your grace your help and your hope give us lord hearts and ears lord to see you as the Son of God and not just as another simple man who walks around this earth, but the one who came from God, being God himself, showing grace, hope, and love for all humanity. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Now, with this in mind, we're going to have a big um, celebration right now. A big invitation coming from God to come to this, His table. Listen to the inviting words of the Lord to His children 